Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning. I'm so glad to be with you. Uh, You know, we have, uh, I think, hundreds of couples that are out in the desert. They thought it was going to be a nice, cool weekend. Uh, So they're out there uh, learning about marriage. I think it's close to 600 uh, people, so 300 marriages uh, out there. You know, I mean, that's what marriage is about. It's in the heat that you grow, right? (laughs) So last night, I was not here. Uh, Ryan Pfeiffer pinched it for me, and he's going to pinch it uh, this evening as well, and uh, and then I'm going to give it a try this morning. So it's great to be with you. I wanted to remind you, if you missed it, I shared some thoughts uh, last week um, in the idea of, of just giving you my heart. But I, I had the thought that we're coming into the new year, and I'm your coach. You're the players. Out there's the playing field. This is the locker room. And what could I do to help and encourage you so that you can go the distance? I've been pastoring for 43 years, quite a while. (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of people come and go over the years. I mean, not just the, the typical switch churches every three years type of stuff, but I've, you know, seen people just walk away from Christ, or Christ just doesn't mean that much, or uh, whatever. And so I thought, how do I help you go the distance, go the test of time? And so I share with you just four things, and I'll be brief this morning. I went into great length uh, last week. Uh, But number one, I would say, come. I'm I'm reading the statistics that uh, it's somewhere between 1.8 and 2.2 times a month that people come to church in America. And those are the dedicated ones. And so you think, whoa, how do you do that? And I say, I don't know. I I have no tomatoes to throw because I know a lot of people travel. There's a lot of business. There's sports. And so there's challenges that, and some of you watch online. And so whatever your schedule is, figure it out because you can only go so slow to the point where the plane drops out of the sky. You know, I don't know what, what that is, 180 miles an hour or something, where you, you, you got to keep going. And so come. It's, it fills your cup. Christianity was never meant to be a me. It's a we. And, and so come, worship, surrender your life to God. Again, just giving him glory, which is what worship is. It centers you. And then studying in the word of God. We design this to be a discipleship moment, not just a feel-good Uh, Secondly, uh, get alone with Jesus. This month, we've designed a Bible study that you can capture online uh, through Philippians to help you and I if you're not in the habit of studying the Word of God regularly. Get alone with Jesus. What if you knew every day you have to face Jesus either tonight or tomorrow morning? How would that change your life? I mean, literally. Uh, uh oh, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta meet up with him again about this, you know. And it really does center your life to just be alone with him. You're gonna be alone with him forever. I mean, not just you, but a few of us. 
with Jesus forever. So why not begin the conversation? Thirdly, give. We are known by what we give ourselves to. Time, energy, and money. And if you don't know what you give yourself to, your friends and your loved ones do. They can say, oh, he's really into this. He's really into this. He's really... So when I give, and I give just like you do, I know that it tugs on my heart because I can use those funds for something else, right? And we live one of the most expensive places on the planet. And so it's really easy for me to say, ah, I just can't. I'll let someone else pay for the meal. But, you know, when I go out with people, I, I take my turn, and this is, this is our church. And so whatever, you know, we tithe... But if you've never done that before, start somewhere where it tugs on your heart. Jesus spoke about giving more than anybody else uh, in the Bible. Because where your treasure is, there is your heart also. And then finally, belong. Let's do this together. Uh, as I said, Christianity is a we, it's not a me. In America, we try to make it just an individualistic sport. Because that's what America is. It's the highest value. Freedom. I did it my way. But uh, we need each other. I did a funeral yesterday of a very precious person that now is in heaven. And uh, we were there because we needed each other. Uh, it's not, you're not meant to do this alone. So we have small groups of various shapes and sizes where you can be known. You can know people, and you can be known. And, uh, and in the end, you're going to go the distance. Wouldn't it be good to high-five each other in heaven and just say, pinch me, <laughs> I'm here, right? So, Father, we pray now that as we study your word, you'd open up your word to us, make it pop, make it come alive to us personally. Feed us, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen. We are in Philippians chapter, at the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, in this great idea of joy, and one of the primary areas of joy that Paul unpacks here for us is the area of serving others. Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive, but our culture says it's more blessed to get, <laughs> mine, my precious but Jesus said it's, it's more precious, it's more, you're more blessed to give than to receive. So there was a moment in Jesus' ministry that just caused the, the false teeth of the disciples to fall out. And it was the moment, the night before his crucifixion. They, they sensed the tension. There's already been Palm Sunday where they proclaimed Jesus to be the king blatantly, openly, no question, Jesus is the king of the Jews. And now it's Thursday night, and Jesus takes off his robe, gets a towel, bends down with a little tub, and begins washing the disciples' feet. And you know the encounter with Peter where he sensed the tension. This can't be. Jesus should have been aiming high, not low, in his mind. Jesus should be on the throne, not as a servant. But Jesus served all of the disciples, and then 
He said, if I'm your master, so you ought to serve one another. And he gave us the template, not only for discipleship, but I believe for life. God is the humblest of all beings. Did you know? It's not how we think of God. We just think of this, uh, I don't know, Wizard of Oz, bulbous head up in heaven, just, uh, you know, on, on the throne. But it wasn't an anomaly for Jesus to cross the infinite gap between heaven and earth to serve us. It was the standard of heaven. The God life is serving. We, in the fall, flipped it. We created the pyramid where we climb this mountain of success and step on everybody's head to get there. We interview, and we have to interview by telling uh, our potential employer, this is why I'm so amazing and why you need to hire me. But in heaven, it's not that way. It's a life of serving because... It's the God style. It's the Jesus style. So we come to chapter 1, verse 27. And here Paul is saying, in tough times, come on you guys, live with the Jesus style. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. When I was teaching in Lebanon two weeks ago, and most of them refugees from Syria and Iraq, that verse meant the world to them. Notice what it says there in verse 29. Uh, it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. Isn't that an amazing thing? It has been, the word is gifted. You've been gifted from heaven, not only to believe, but also to suffer for Christ. Now, I haven't suffered. I mean, when I became a Christian, a lot of my friends left me because I wasn't fun anymore, they said. Um, I just, what that meant was I just didn't want to do some of the things they were doing. And they probably felt convicted, but they started gossiping about me, saying that I was a Jesus freak, I'd flipped out, I, I, I was this Jesus guy, and, and uh, I, didn't, I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I was trying to figure Jesus out myself, but I remember that hurt. But that's kind of the worst kind of suffering we get here, uh, that maybe someone says something about you, but nevertheless... Any Christian is going cross-grain to culture. There's going to be something in culture that is contrary to the Jesus style. So he says at the very beginning in verse 27, 
conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, the word worthy scares us. Anytime someone says, be worthy, I, that my immediate reaction is, I'm not worthy. That's the whole point of the gospel. I needed a savior, so how could I ever be worthy? He is not saying be worthy enough to earn heaven. If you'll look at one particular word here, it may help you. The word is conduct. That word actually has the word poly in it, from which we get our word police. And the the Greek word for city is polis. And it is talking about citizenship. He's saying behave as a citizen of heaven. You're representing something bigger than just you. It would be like my dad saying, come on, Mark, behave like a foreman. Foremans don't do that. Foremans don't do that. Foremans do this. Live up to your name. That's what he's saying here. He's not talking about earning anything. He's saying live according to who you are. You're a person who's discovered the wonderful love of Jesus And the way we conduct ourselves is clear in verse 28. Without being frightened by those who oppose you, he's granted to you on behalf of Christ to not only believe but to suffer since you are in the same struggle. And going back actually to verse 27, he says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith in the gospel without being frightened. That's what it means. It's right there in the context. Scripture, 90% of the time, interprets itself. So conducting ourselves as a citizen of heaven means essentially living united together as we face different kinds of persecution. When we're under heat, when we're under pressure, those are the times that I am least Christian-like, right? Right? I see your face. We feel that. He rolled his eyes inside, you know, because we're all amazing Christians as we come out of church, right? Love you, dude. Bro. Oh, you know. Um, But when we're under heat, I mean financial heat, uh, health heat, relationship heat, under pressure, those are the times that it's the most difficult to live Christ-like. So these Christians were under the pressure of persecution. And under persecution, you want to take it out on somebody to relieve the pressure. My mom used to cook with a pressure cooker. Now, I don't think millennials uh, and certainly Gen Zs don't even know what a pressure cooker is. I can't believe it. I mean, those are like bombs inside your kitchen. (laughs) You know, you just snap the lid tight and you put it under pressure and, uh, and then you cook. And it's just like, are you kidding me? Pressure. And so you have this release valve that's telling you that something's cooked. This little steam coming out. So when we're under pressure, uh, we're a bomb. We're dangerous. We may take it out on somebody. I come home. I yell at my wife. She yells at the kids. The kids yell at the dog. The dog bites the cat. The cat 
looks for the mouse, and it's called scapegoating, right? Someone else is the problem. So it's under pressure that I can grow. It's under pressure that I can discover what it means to be Christ-like, and it's to love and stay united under pressure. Now he begins to unpack it in verse 1 of chapter 2. In this chapter 2, if, if you have never uh, ab- absorbed chapter 2 of Philippians, the first 11 verses, you need to do this. It's believed that some of these verses were an ancient hymn of the early church. So we'll go quickly through it, but just maybe go home and do some extra credit and, and, and read it over again. Therefore... If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in one mind. Now, is he asking the question, is there any Unity, is there any love? Is there any comfort? And the answer would be, he's not, even though he says it that way, he's not asking. It's called a rhetorical question, where you ask it in a way that could be reread since, not take out the word if and put the word since there, and it'll make perfect sense. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ since there is comfort in his love, since, and so on. So Paul is using a rhetorical method to stir up through questioning what are all the benefits that you now have because you know Jesus. And there's a lot that are listed here. We have encouragement. Our spirits are buoyed because of being united with Christ. We are comforted by his love. We have fellowship. The word is koinonia there, in the Holy Spirit. We have found compassion. Then he says, do that for each other. Right? Being like-minded, having the same love, one in spirit, in verse 2, and one in mind. So these are huge, huge things that you and I... There should be a big perk for becoming a Christian. Not only do you get Jesus, but you get to be around a lot of other people who have discovered the same Jesus. We're not perfect, but we're learning how to do things Jesus-style, encouraging, comforting, loving pushing each other on. Think of it this way. If you were a molecule, a water molecule, H2O, and you decide one day you're going to be a river, and you begin to shout out, sorry, welcome to my psychosis. I I should have been a cartoonist. but uh, So you decide one day, I'm a river, and you start shouting, I'm a river, I'm a river. And everyone else looks at you and says, you're not a river. You're a solo water molecule. And you say, well, how do you become a river? You need more molecules. You need more water. But 
the way a river works is really quite simple. It's all the other water molecules that are pushing each other on. They just keep pushing each other on. You say, well, no, it's gravity. It's gravity pulling them all down, but they're tumbling down the mountain, pushing each other on. We need each other. And Paul sees it. He sees it as, as a secret to the Christian life. And we haven't done good at this. Sometimes we're amazingly united, and sometimes we're amazingly divided. And 2,000 years of Christian history proves that. Uh, you know, that we, we become fighting people that are willing to fight over the craziest things. The Moravians, following a great writer, I forget his name, you, someone will text me his name, but uh, the Moravians in Hernhut, uh, Germany, they use this as their slogan. Uh, it goes like this. In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty or freedom. And in all things, love. So good. That could be a sermon, right? In essentials, that is the basic doctrine. The, is the Bible the Bible? The authority? Yep. Is God God? Is the Trinity the Trinity? Did Jesus Christ die for your sins? All these are basic doctrines, not negotiable. In essentials, unity. We've got to be united about those. But on non-essentials, whether you wear a Hawaiian shirt to preach in, <laughs> or whether you wear a suit and tie, whether you baptize forwards or backwards, in the ocean or in a swimming pool or in a baptistry or sprinkling, whether you uh, wear, use the NIV, New American Standard, Revised Standard Version, whatever you're going to, you know, we're not going to fight over those things. Those are non-essentials. But those are the things that Christians have divided the church on. If you think about it, we should have carpet, we shouldn't have carpet. And then, in all things, how we relate to one another, it's love. A friend of mine was planning a church in, in Florida, and, and, and they were two movements, I won't mention them, but they were very similar, but had differences. And so, my friend called on a pastor from another movement and said, can we do lunch? And this other pastor shared with him how much he disagreed with this guy's movement. And I'm not happy that you're in town. And my friend said, well, I can appreciate that, but we both believe the Bible, right? He said, yep. And he said, then you still got to love me. So even if you're going to disagree with me and not be happy with me being in town, could you still love me while you do it? You see, it's really hard. Verse 3. Humility is the secret to unity. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I've been 
reading a book the second time. I've mentioned this before by David Brooks called The Second Mountain. Fabulous. It's going to be a classic. New York Times columnist, a Jewish man who's come to faith in Christ and is trying to figure it out. But he, he talks about the two mountains. The first mountain is the one we all climb, success, significance, importance, fame, wealth, somehow to get three cars into that garage that we can't get any cars into anymore. And then once we get there, we're either in success depression because we say, is this all there is? Or the bottom falls out, my wife leaves me, I lose my job, I may lose my health, and I go down into this valley, and now I'm wondering, what's it all about, Alfie? What, what is it? And you look up, and there's this bigger mountain. And it was always bigger, more important. And it's the mountain of loving others more than yourself. It's the mountain of serving others. It's the, it's, it's the way you were created to be. It's the way any grandfather begins to think as he looks upon his kids and grandkids. The grandfather's not thinking, I'm so amazing. The grandfather's thinking, they're amazing. How can I be with them? How can I? And that's the God life. That's what God has called us into. And Paul's talking that way as he uses this language. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. If you remember back in verse 17 of chapter 1, he talked about preachers who were preaching from false motives. And what he said there was literally the former, these preachers, preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And the, the word there means false glory or empty glory. Almost all glory is empty glory. Once you get it and you realize it's just cotton candy that we're pursuing. But he says, we should consider each other as more important than ourselves. Wow. Such a paradigm shift. You know, I go into a, a, a group gathering, and I'm just like you. It's just like, oh, I don't know anybody here. And I'm, I'm totally self-conscious. It's like, am I wearing the right thing? Do I look the right way? Uh, how do I behave in this group? And... It's horrible because I become less of who I really am because I'm so self-conscious. Any musician can tell you where they make the most mistakes is when they become self-conscious. This loop that begins to happen. I'm aware of myself. Now I'm more aware of myself. Now I'm more aware of myself. And it doesn't matter whether you're narcissistic or whether you're shy. And you don't... It, it both are looping about themselves. And he calls us to be a there-you-are kind of person. And it sets you free. You actually become the real you. You get bigger as you focus on other people. You walk into the room, and instead of, hello, here I am, or hello, here I am, rather, hello, there you are. There you are, there you are. It sets us free. He calls us to be there you are kind of people. And he says to think this way, consider it, which means to calculate. Let that be how you think. Remember Scrooge at Christmas time. Scrooge goes through this very paradigm shift of going from selfish to there you are. 
So our understanding of humility is what needs to happen. But here's the thing I've discovered about Americans. Are you guys there? Come on, Americans. We often think of humility as weakness. Be careful here. The ancients thought this way. The Greeks didn't prize humility. The Stoics didn't prize humility. They thought of as weakness. We are much more ancient Greek in our orientation than ancient Hebrew. It's not weakness. It's, it's not becoming less of who we are. The second thing we need to be careful about, Americans, it's not rescuing. It's not becoming codependent. Well, what do you want to do? I just don't know. It's whatever you want to do because if I can make you happy, I'm happy. Uh, that's not what he's calling us to. Those of you that have struggled with being rescuers or codependent, that's not humility. Humility is simply true awareness of who I am before God. Think of it. Isaiah sees the Lord high and lifted up. His train fills the temple. And what does he say? Awesome! I should be here. High five, God. No. It's, woe is me. He realizes, oh, there is a God, and it is not me. So anyone claiming to be godly is moving towards humility. If you're around God, it shrinks you. The second thing is, if you're around people, people are amazing. Have you seen what a humanoid is like? They're amazing. That should shrink you as well. So we find our place humble. Jesus said this, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be the first must be the slave of all. Jesus' teachings are all about this. He says in his teachings, we got to be last, not first. We got to be least, not the greatest. We got to be the lowest, speaking of children, Uh, not the highest. So here's the motto. Down is up. If you want to go up, you got to go down. So counterintuitive, but those of you that have been in the martial arts, you understand that a lot of things are that way. You want your marriage to thrive? Go down. Serve her. You want your business to thrive? Be a servant leader. Care about your employees, their families, their their kids. It just goes on and on that way. So humility is the secret to unity. And then we come to Jesus' example in verse 5. It says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. What is that? I'm glad you asked. Verse 6. 
And this is the section that's believed to be an ancient hymn, starting in verse 6. Who being in the very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So this was Christ's mindset, and this is what we're invited into, the mind of Christ. So verse 6 is probably one of the most is one of the strongest statements of Christology, the nature of Christ in all of Scripture, who existed in, the word is morphos. Uh, We understand that word, even in our culture, it means form. He existed in form as God. So before the incarnation, before Bethlehem, he existed in form as God. Nobody in the New Testament reinvented Jesus, this this thing that uh, enlightened theologians have, have done to try to take away the miraculous and to take away the nature of Christ and to say that Paul invented Jesus. And I, I got a... a Uh, mindful of that in grad school. Um, Paul is clear as a Jewish rabbi, and there's nothing in a Jewish rabbi that would say that the Messiah was God, preexistent. So he's saying something very, very powerful there. Now once you realize, okay, Jesus is on the throne pre-Bethlehem, and It says here that he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, and the literal is to be grasped or to hang on to. So he lets it go. He empties himself. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbles himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. And these are the stair steps where Paul is actually talking about him stepping down stair after stair in humility. So he's found as a man, and now as a man, that, that, that's, that's quite a humbling already. Infinite God, finite man, almighty God, not so mighty man, everlasting God, terminal man. He becomes a man. Then he steps down from there, humbling himself to die. And then not just any death, the death that all Romans and Jews despised, death on a cross. Whoa. Second Corinthians 8 9 says, Though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become rich. 
This is so difficult. Oftentimes there's something in the back of a business person's head that says, yeah, this is good church talk, but if I live this way in my business, people would walk all over me. This is, this is good church talk, but if I was like that in football, people would walk all over me. And we begin to compartmentalize. I can, I, I can do that in church, but I can't do that in my neighborhood because people will take it. I can't do it in my marriage because my spouse will take advantage of me. Am I right or am I right? Yeah. How do we do this in real life, in real culture? But Jesus did it. Jesus did it. And I guarantee you, you do that in your marriage, bam. This is a money-back guarantee, folks. So you try this for a year, and I'll give you back whatever you gave in the offering today if it doesn't work. You got to aim lower, not higher. You got to think smaller. I know you have this big vision, but think about the individual. Think about the person. There's a story that you and I know where Jesus, right before he goes to the cross, it's it's so incredible. It's found in Matthew 20. So you know, it's 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 at the end of the book. He's about to go to the cross and the mother no offense, moms, but the mother of James and John. She's come down from Capernaum to talk to Jesus and say, excuse me, Jesus, but uh, when you come into your, you know, your own, it looks like you're about to be elected, you're going to get the White House, and can can my son John and James sit on your right hand and your left hand? When you're on your throne, can you imagine Jesus hearing that? Now, you've got to bless the moms. Moms, we're always thinking of our kids, right? But he must have just felt like, ah, I've been talking about this for three years, and they're still thinking about what's in it for me. My ambition. So what's the result if you and I decide to drink the Kool-Aid here and go low? Look at verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue Acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This word exalted is at the front of the sentence. So Jesus, I mean, Paul is thinking, okay, this is the big outcome. And if there was a word, it would be translated super exalt. It's got the, the uh, prefix attached to it, which is hyper, hupa, which means hyper exalted. So that's what you get out of serving. And that's what Christ got out of serving. He got hyper-exalted to the highest place. And God gave him the name above every name. Great humility leads to great exaltation. 
Now, he speaks of these three levels, and they're curious because we don't live, I don't live, thinking about these three levels. But Paul wants to make sure that you understand hyper-exaltation. So he names all the realms he can think of. Above the earth, on the earth, under the earth. The angelic realm, they serve, and they got to answer to Christ. The human realm, someday every human will have to answer Christ. The below the earth, demonic realm, every de- demon is one day going to have to honor and admit that Jesus Christ is Lord. Hyper exaltation. You know how this helps me? Occasionally, I deal with a bully. I, ugh, I just want to take bullies out. I know I'm a little guy, but I, I do not have a good track record of handling uh, bullies, especially when bullies are bullying friends of mine. I just, no patience for this. And I think I learned it from my mother. <laughs> yeah, she was a toughie. Do it Jesus' way, Jesus' style. That even the demons one day, even the bullies, even the whatevers, are going to have to admit that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Down is up. And in giving, we receive. In serving, we are served. In losing our lives, we find it. In humbling ourselves, we are exalted. So Jesus taught this, and now he invites us into the Jesus style. That up is down. Sometimes I put myself into the situation of a Gethsemane. What I mean by that is Jesus is in Gethsemane staring at the cross and he's asking God, is there another way? And I have done that so many, many times. Do I have to? Do I, you know, is there any other way? And the answer for Jesus was no. You're going to humble yourself. You're going to carry the cross. But there's a resurrection, folks. There's a resurrection for you. In the end, you win. The true you, the real self, you win. And God exalts you. So what do you think? Are you in or is this like too tough? It's Kool-Aid. You're going to drink it? Yeah, you're in? There's no other way to follow Christ. You can't just say, oh, can you just save me but let me be my own king? It's the kingdom of God, right? Not my kingdom. But you will be exalted. Folks, I have seen this time and time and time again in marriage. Marriage is the toughest thing. And if, if you're not married, let me put it, you know, having close friends is the blessing and the toughest thing in the world because think about it. What was God even thinking? It's, it's like a war ready-made. How many opinions do you have of choices? Free will, pistachio, jamocha almond fudge, <laughs> apple pie a la mode, no, Deep dark chocolate, VG's cake. Uh, 
I mean, the choices go on and on and on, and it's okay. They're not bad. Jazz, rock, uh, surfing, snowboarding, juggling, badminton, whatever. We have opinions, and get that, that's not just enough. So how many choices and opinions do you have in your being? Like hundreds. Then, this is what God does. He says, we're not going to let you not only have choices, we're going to let you have passion about some of those choices. So with some of those things, I don't care. Pistachio, Jamocha, Almond Fudge, I could take either one. But badminton or surfing, I have an opinion. (laughs) So we have passion about this. So we have different opinions. We have different passions. And then God says, let's put two of them together. I mean, that must like be the, the makings of the first atomic bomb. Let's just fusion. Let's put it all together. Let's build the pressure. Yeah. And we enter into marriage and we say, well, it's, oh, whatever you want. I love you. Whatever you want. I love you. And, you know, I'd last for two months or two years. And then now we're getting somewhere. We have an opinion. We're we starting to have a division. We have this idea, just meet me 50-50 at the, at, the, at the center of the football field. We'll flip a coin. Heads, I win. Because it's all about me. And by the way, you won last time. It's my... T- so we're trying to do marriage this way. And then extrapolate that. We're doing neighborhoods that way. We're doing card games that way. We're doing life that way or doing business that way and then we have God show up on planet earth and say there's a different way the least the lowest the last wow but if you are married I can guarantee you your marriage will be exalted if you follow the instructions money back guarantee You want to have friends? You serve them. Money back guarantee. You want to have your employees like you as a leader? Money back guarantee. So why don't we? One reason. Because I have to abandon self. And I love myself too much to abandon myself to all these people and to serve what about me so folks I double dare you double dog dare you you've been a Christian for a while let's do it Jesus style amen, amen. would you join me in prayer Lord thank you for your truth for your word thank you for what you have called us to in following you. Lord, you were quite clear asking us daily to take up our cross and follow you. And you were quite clear to say that the least and the last and the lowest would be the greatest in heaven. Lord, none of us have been raised to think this way. And so, Father, You're going to have to school us and teach us and walk with us by the Holy Spirit, helping us to grasp the Jesus style.
But God, we believe it's the best way. And so come, Holy Spirit, and do this work in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.